I look at the Fed and the Bank of Canada, I view them as prioritizing inflation right now. And to me, what that means is that they will let rates keep getting higher until basically I'd say equity markets give in and can't take it anymore. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. This week, the U.S. annual inflation rate reached 8.5%, its highest level in over 40 years. In today's episode, Chris McKinney, Matt Montemuro, and your host, Mark Rays, provide timely insight into the impact of inflation on the bond market. They also discuss the NASDAQ 100, Russian equities, preferred shares, and gold. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETF weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm today's host, Mark Rays, head of product for BMO Global Asset Management. I'd like to thank everyone for listening in today. We really appreciate your time. And for today, we are joined by Chris McAney and Matt Montemuro, both our portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So thanks to both of you for joining us today. Morning. Morning, Mark. Thanks for having us. Morning to both of you. Thanks for joining. Let's get right into the questions. We are certainly starting to get some advisor questions in on where we are and perhaps being a little bit late in the economic cycle. And we're seeing a flattening of the yield curve, which of course leads to thoughts about potentially an upcoming recession. Is this a real concern right now or are there other factors that are dominating the bond market and the yield curve? And as you respond, how much safety should advisors be considering with ETFs like ZTL or long U.S. Treasury, or ZFL, or long Canadian federal bond. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. I can uh, take this one. And I think the inverted yield curve that we've uh, seen over the last few weeks is definitely a hot topic right now. You know, generally speaking, I think that that inverted uh, yield curve signifies that you know, a recession is coming. You know, when, when we look a little bit deeper, I think this inversion is not necessarily built like some of the others uh, that we've seen in the past that maybe have been good predictors of, of a recession. You know, so what, what I wanted to start with is maybe looking at a few other common leading indicators and see what they're predicting and what they're saying if a recession is coming. It does seem like a lot of those common indicators don't seem to be sending that same message. So let's go, let's go through them just quickly. So, you know, the ISM manufacturing PMI below 45. So no, we're not there yet. Tighter financial conditions. Again, we're not there yet. It might be coming with, uh, you know, the Bank of Canada today, the Fed coming in a few weeks. Um, you know, I think we can foresee that there's going to be some tightening financial conditions ahead, but we're definitely not there. And we do have a ways to go. Housing starting to decline. No, we have not seen that yet. Uh, labor market weakness and weakening. We have definitely not seen that. And then finally, uh, positive inflationary trends. So yes, we, we you know inflation's been a hot topic, and that's definitely something that we are are, are seeing. 
you know, so, so currently when we look at these leading indicators, you know, we only have one real rock solid indicator that a recession is coming. The other, the other indicators are, are saying that that's, you know, they're, they're counteracting or, or uh, disagreeing with, with that uh, we, we see uh, a recession ahead. So I do think that this is a unique, maybe an anomaly uh, with the inversion of the yield curve right now, just given kind of the uh, unique environment we're in. Uh, it's our belief that uh, I think it's unlikely that a recession, uh, we'll see a recession in 2022 and then into 2023, you know, it's possible in the late late end, depending on how uh, this interest rate hike cycle goes. But again, I think you know for the near term, I think an, an, um, a recession is highly unlikely, uh, even though we're seeing the yield curve inversion um, that has predicted prior recessions. You know, that being said, we did see U.S. CPI yesterday print at eight and a half percent. You know, we haven't seen that print in in literally 40 years. We're, we're talking 19. 19- 82 was the last time we saw an inflation print uh, that high. So, you know, it's clear that the Fed and the Bank of Canada are going to act and, and they're going to have to start acting fast. So both the Fed and Bank of Canada and Bank of Canada will be uh, talking a little bit later today at 10 a.m. are expected to double up and hike rates by 50 basis points at this meeting and in the June meeting to attempt to control that inflation. You know, I think if you look through, uh, for the rest of the year, you know, estimates of the overnight rates uh, to end 2022, you know, you're looking at Canada at about 2.6% and you're looking at the U.S. at 2.45. You know, that's, that's a significantly higher number than we're seeing today. So, you know, we're going to have to see some pretty aggressive action um, by the Bank of Canada and the Fed. And it'd be very interesting to see how the market and the economy does react to that. So although I do see, you know, you had mentioned ZTL or ZFL, you know, I do see the thought about adding long duration um, given the shape of the yield curve. Uh, but I still feel that, you know, that continues to, to add undue risk uh, in your portfolio in the current environment. You know, I look at the Fed and the Bank of Canada, you know, I view them as prioritizing inflation right now. They're not really, they're not prioritizing, you know, risk assets. They're not prioritizing employment. And to me, what that means is that they will let rates keep getting higher uh, until basically, I'd say, equity markets give in and can't take it anymore. Um, so for me, adding duration right now would be a little bit too much downside risk than I would want to be or willing to take in my fixed income portfolio. Um, you know, For those who do want some of that exposure, I think ZAG and ZDB as the aggregate exposure, they do provide total market access. So they do provide you that long end, that balance if you're looking for it. Um, but for myself, I'd be looking at this flat yield curve and I'd say to myself, you know, if I can get a similar yield with a two-year bond versus a 10-year bond, right now, given that we know rates, are, the, the direction of rates are going to go, uh, or we expect them to go, um, you know, I would just reduce and take the duration risk and volatility out of the equation and shorten my overall portfolio duration. So I would look, um, if I was going to make an allocation change, I would look at ZCS or short corporate, ZQB or quality bond, which is one to 10 year. And then two uh, new products that we've launched, uh, which I think are very attractive uh, given how yields have moved, um, is our discount bond suite. So ZSDB, so our short discount bond, and ZCDB, our corporate discount bond, which I think right now 
um, are very attractive in the current environment and also uh, for taxable invest investors would provide some uh, some very unique um, opportunities in fixed income, which has generally been um, not so tax efficient in the past. So you know, those are what I would, that's what I would be looking at right now, uh, given the uncertainty in the market uh, uh, as a way to to play, you know, the near term and midterm. Right. Thanks for that, Matt. And certainly agree. You know, we're starting to get those questions in because of the shape of the curve as as to whether there's a recession ahead. But the reality is inflation numbers are, are front and center with, with all central banks right now. And until that gets brought back under control a little bit, I think that'll remain the primary concern out there. From the pandemic and rising inflation to rate hikes and geopolitical conflict, investors have experienced extreme levels of volatility and uncertainty in recent months. In that environment, what can advisors do to mitigate investment risk and manage financial expectations? Join portfolio manager Chris Heeks as he explores ETF ideas to help your clients smooth the ride. Part one of a three-part monthly webinar series is streaming March 31st through June 30th. Register now at BMOETFsForum.com. Now let's switch over to the equity markets. Can we get an update on the NASDAQ 100, which of course we offer both hedged and unhedged with our hedge ZQQ or our unhedged ZNQ? As we've seen continued pressure on this portfolio in March, is this coming from, again, inflation and interest rates? uh, Or is there anything else at play? And when does this start to look like an attractive entry point? Thanks. Certainly a lot going on with the NASDAQ and, you know, Matt kind of outlined the interest rate environment. You know, I think that continues to be a headwind to NASDAQ and those growth-oriented type equities. You know, if you look at just from the beginning of March, um, the U.S. 10-year yield is up almost 100 basis points here through mid-April. In Canada, you know, a similar amount, probably around 90 basis points. So you're looking at almost 1% in 10-year interest rates, again, just over a month and a half. So a huge, huge move uh, in interest rates. Of course, again, Matt mentioned inflation prints um, being the highest in 40 years as well. Um, And so this is causing a headwind to the equity markets. I think, you know, one of the other things um, the NASDAQ is facing right now as we enter earnings season is, um, you know, a a moderation in earnings expectations. Um, you know, I think in the best case scenario, you know, some of the names at the top, like Apple and Microsoft, their earnings expectations have been relatively flat for the last few weeks. You know, after after moving up, um, they've been relatively flat. And that's kind of the best case scenario we've seen over recent weeks. If anything, um, earnings expectations have been coming down a little bit. Um, and we've started to see that trickle out in terms of, um, you know, what some companies are saying about. Uh, concerns around inflation, concerns around the economy, uh, and things like that. So that sort of language is starting to trickle into earnings announcements. And so it'll be interesting to see um, through through this cycle what uh, some of those NASDAQ companies tell us, not just about their current earnings, uh, but about their expectations going forward. As Matt mentioned, you know, the market essentially is pricing a 50 basis point increase from both the Bank of Canada and the U.S. Federal Reserve over their next two meetings. You know, if you look at the next three months, including the July meeting for for each central bank, you're looking at essentially 125 basis points uh, of tightening that's priced in right now. And so 
I think, you know, to take a look at the NASDAQ and try to figure out when these headwinds start to moderate and when the upside starts to come back, I think you really do have to see a, a, a decrease in this interest rate volatility. It's really hard for equities to perform well when interest rates are moving around so much. Um, you know, if there was an a change in expectation in yields um, and yields moved and then, and then stopped, you know, it, it would be kind of a one-time repricing of the equity market and, and then it would be off we go. But as I mentioned, you know, interest rates continuing to move 100 basis points over the last month and a half for longer term rates. Um, it's hard for equity investors to, um, to, to nail down that valuation metric when, when the, the underlying rates keep moving so much. And so I think it's going to take a couple of Fed meetings, a couple of Bank of Canada meetings to get these interest rate increases firstly, you know, the first couple out of the way, but then also to see some of the, the, the underlying data come in over the next, you know, three months or so um, and, and then see which way, uh, which direction the Fed takes it. You know, I think the, the current pricing over the next few months is very aggressive, um, but then for the second half of the year, it, it's, it's a lot more uh, vague as to which way interest rates are going to go. So um, I think having a few months more of, again, central bank meetings, interest rate increases starting to work their way through the system, um, and then a little bit more moderation in terms of future interest rate increase expectations. That will bring that rate volatility down a little bit and create a little bit more of a, a tailwind rather than a headwind to, to, to growth market equities. For longer term investors, though, you know, I think we're down 17% uh, from the all time highs in the NASDAQ. You know, I think it reached the 20% down and we're kind of off the lows a little bit there. But for longer term investors, you know, you can certainly uh, make the case that we're already at an attractive entry point for these growth oriented equities. Again, large companies like Microsoft and Apple leading the way in the NASDAQ, um, even if their current earnings are, uh, you know, moderate a little bit, um, you're still getting very, very high cash flow generation out of these, out of these businesses. And so, you know, for longer term investors, you know, you're already, again, we're already down 17% off the high. Um, you know, you're, you're probably okay for another entry point here with a view to three to five years from now being much, much higher than where we are now. Um, but, you know, in terms of the next three months or so, again, I think it's a little bit more, um, you know, sideways trading here. There may be another entry point for NASDAQ and growth-oriented equities, you know, over the next few months. But I, I think, again, for longer-term investors, with a view to the long term, we're, we're in a good spot right now with NASDAQ valuations. Um, and hopefully, you know, again, with a little bit more moderation on the interest rate side of things, that helps to uh, unlock a little bit more growth potential going forward. Great. Thanks for that update, Chris. And certainly a lot of eyes starting to get on that uh, portfolio thinking about potential entry points. Now let's switch over to emerging markets where we're continuing to get advisor questions on Russian holdings in our emerging market ETF, uh, ZEM. Has there been any change in the marketplace? Uh, how are those securities being valued? And, you know, as we look at these securities, we understand the, the blocks that are in place in terms of trading these securities. Is, is any of that moving at all? Thanks. Yeah, so, I mean, the short answer when it comes to Russia and R Russian equities is there's, there's really been no change um, in, in the recent past. You know, if you take a look at what's happening. So, again, you know, just to recap, you know, ZEM, our emerging markets ETF, um, holds a, a number of Russian equities, as does uh, the vast majority of emerging market um, portfolios um, in Canada and the U.S. Um, and then with the Russian equity market essentially now closed 
to foreign investors, um, you know, the valuation of these securities has come into question. And we've seen index providers actually remove uh, Russian equities from most of these major benchmarks at a zero price. And so ZEM and again, the other emerging market um, ETFs and mutual funds out there uh, continue to hold these securities. Within ZEM, uh, they are valued uh, at zero as well. And so, you know, essentially in line with, uh, with the index. And again, there's been no real movement in terms of opening that up for foreign investors to be able to, to dispose of those securities as of yet. I think, you know, if you take a look at what, what that's going to take, I think really the first step is going to be a moderation in the war. Of course, that's really the first thing we're going to need to see um, before any movement forward in terms of uh, uh, the investment world. And, you know, I think currently there's, there's no sign of that at all. I think, if anything, Russia is going to step up um, their efforts in Ukraine. And so I don't think we're anywhere near a moderation into what's happening on the ground. Um, but if that did occur and there was some sort of peace treaty or, or ceasefire or anything like that, that's really, again, just the first step towards being able to um, reintegrate Russia in some way into the, the global uh, economy. You know, really what we're seeing, the, the steps that countries are taking right now is still, you know, in the opposite direction, Russia essentially being removed um, from the global economy and from different points. You know, the latest being several countries taking away their most favored nation status. And so that increases tariffs and things like that. Um, you know, a, a world trade uh, organization sort of status is being taken away from Russia. And so, again, we're kind of still seeing that economy being unplugged from the global economy. Um, and so it's going to take a long time for that to start to be built back, um, if, if at all, in, in the future. And so I think, again, you're going to have to see some moderation in the war. You're going to have to see some sort of ceasefire take place. Um, and only then, uh, and maybe not even then, you know, quite some time after that, you'll start to see um, maybe some normalization um, in the Russian economy being reintroduced and, and reopened to foreign investors. And so, um, you know, at, at some point in the future, all of these ETFs will be able to dispose of their Russian holdings, you know, hopefully at some point. Um, and if they do, it'll be at a price, you know, more than zero. And so, um, you know, there'll be, they'll, it, it'll be a benefit relative to the index. Um, in terms of valuations, because they're holding something that the index essentially is, is saying worth nothing. Um, and so there's, there's some slight upside there in terms of what uh, these portfolios are holding. Uh, but again, it's, it's still pretty vague in terms of when that could be realized um, and how far in the future that'll happen. So unfortunately, no, no real change there, but um, status quo uh, in terms of those Russian holdings. Great. Thanks for that update, Chris. And Certainly good to get an update every once in a while as advisors do ask questions as they do see the holdings uh, within the portfolio. Of course, we've got full transparency on the website. But as you state, uh, foreign investors remain locked out of the Russian market and certainly don't see that changing anytime soon. So let's switch over to preferred shares. Uh, getting quite a few questions coming in around ZPR, our ladder rate reset preferred share ETF where, of course, there's been a very strong uh, run-up in performance last year. Uh, but this year, you know, despite rising rates, uh, ZPR is actually uh, down for the year. Um, so maybe you can speak a bit to the forces driving the returns on this ETF. 
uh, you know, the intersection of, of rates, credit, and whatever else might be going on, uh, as advisors do look to preferred shares as a certainly non-traditional fixed income alternative uh, when they don't see a lot of options along the interest rate curve. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. And, you know, for two years, I think investors in Canadian press have experienced, you know, quite the ride. You know, tailwinds from a market structure perspective, as well as tightening credit spreads, have led to press, you know, being one of the best performing asset classes, you know, since, you know, if we, if we target looking at that market bottom of March 23rd, 2020. You know, ZPR, just from a context perspective, has returned, you know, 104% over, over that time, outperforming both TSX and the S&P. You know, you're really getting equity market returns with volatility that's more aligned with fixed income. So it has been has seen some very very strong performance. But as you mentioned, we've we've seen uh, press really sell off uh, to start 2022. Um, and you know, I think a lot of people are surprised uh, that we've seen this sell off due to um, sorry that we've seen this sell off because we've also seen a rally in the Canadian five-year, which for our ZPR, the rate reset uh, preferred shares are linked to that um, Canadian five-year. So, you know, the, the five-year now yielding 2.64% has been has been uh, rallying all year. Um, but I think it's important to note that PREFs are both you know, interest rate sensitive products as well as credit sensitive products. And I think that's uh, the key distinction here. You know, since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we've really seen a strong risk off environment where credit spreads uh, have widened significantly. And that impact has really outpaced the interest rate impact that we've seen in ZPR. So because of these two different levels, we've seen the credit spread sell off more so and basically dwarf the impact of, of rising rates. You know, uh, if you look at spreads, both in, in fixed income and in the prep side, uh, spreads currently sit much, much wider than normalized levels and, and significantly wider than the tights that we saw to end 2021. Uh, a little bit of a perfect storm there where we were kind of on the verge of those tights and then, and then we've seen some risk off in, in, the, in the market. Um, you know, I think it is important to note, though, that, you know, from a sector perspective in ZPR, you know, ZPR is really dominated by financials, energy, utilities, you know, all of which are relatively isolated from the conflict in Ukraine. And so, you know, when the market does normalize or when the tension starts to subside, we would expect that spreads should tighten because they haven't been, they haven't tightened they haven't widened for a fundamental reason. They've, they've widened more so on a risk-off tone in the entire market. So we, we, we do expect some tightening uh, once some of this tension does subside. I think further fueling some of the downside that we've seen is that there has been a lot of investors looking to take profits. You know, as I said, that 104% return, you know, as tension came up, we have seen investors, especially on the institutional side, look to say, you know what, it's time for me to you know, exit that asset class right now and just take take my uh, profits right now and look for a new ent- uh, entry opportunity. So that puts some further pressure uh, and downside pressure on an already strained asset class to start 2022. And that's kind of what why we're seeing a little bit of underperformance to start the year. But, you know, I think on the plus side, I think looking and, and given the current 
spread levels, we believe that there this could be a very nice entry point for investors. You know, we think that credit spreads will normalize uh, and that prices should start to align with current interest rate levels. That's why we see some upside in Canadian press. You know, if you look at the implied current yield, you know, assuming the current five-year at about 2.64%, that would imply a 6.11% yield in ZPR. You know, that's the highest we've seen in quite some time. So, you know, for investors looking for yield, this could be an excellent opportunity to kind of buy the dip and get in. And, you know, some of those market structure, um, some of those market structure factors that have led to some strong performance haven't changed. So I think it, 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 if you're looking at it that way, I think this could be an excellent opportunity for uh, yield-hungry investors to enter the asset class. Uh, I think that there are strong tailwinds um, remaining throughout the year, just from a credit spread perspective. And then once the prices start to align to that new normal, uh, that new five-year higher rate, uh, I think we're going to see some strong performance in, in preps, and I think this could be an opportunity for a lot of investors. Great. Thanks for that update, Matt. And as you said, certainly investors seeing that rising five-year and wondering how that plays into ZPR. So appreciate that explanation of including uh, credit spreads considerations. As advisors grapple with rising interest rates, market uncertainties, and the impact of geopolitical tensions, advisors are looking to provide uncomplicated, diverse solutions for their clients. Join portfolio manager and investment strategist Alfred Lee as he explores one sector to consider, commodities, with a focus on oil and gas, gold, and base metals. This special webinar streams Thursday, April 28th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Register today at BMOETFsForum.com. And we'll pause on oil this week uh, from a sector perspective, and let's let's go over to gold, uh, where prices have been consolidating a little bit after uh, a significant spike earlier in 2022. What are the expectations for gold, considering the inflation in markets? And as well, what does that mean for gold miner ETFs like our own ZGD? Thanks. Certainly, we have seen quite the price action in in gold so far here in 2022. As you mentioned, just a matter of weeks ago, spiking back up over that $2,000 level that we last saw, you know, kind of mid to late 2020, um, that that all-time high in the gold price. And, you know, largely, again, you know, as you said, on the back of these inflation fears, something we've been talking about quite a bit today, um, and in fact, although it's consolidated back a little bit there, we're, we're seeing it back on the rise, that gold price, back towards that, that $2,000 price and, and certainly looks like um, we'll be passing that level again um, in the near future. So gold continuing to trade near an all-time high here. Now, the, the, the good news for, for gold-related equities uh, when it comes to that is um, you know, if investors take a look at the gold price and think, you know what, it's at $2,000, that's an all-time high. Um, that's not something, you know, I want to invest in going forward. You know, the, the only way to go is back down. Um, but really, you know, what you really need to do is take a look at gold in context to, you know, where real yields are. And although um, with nominal yields moving up quite a bit, as we, again, as we've been talking about, that's, that's putting a, a little bit of pressure on those real yields, but we are still seeing real yields come in uh, at a negative rate right now. So uh, the market's still thinking that 
uh, over the long term, inflation will be higher than what bond yields are providing at this current point in time. And so that's really a, a nice backdrop for gold, um, that, that sort of environment. So again, it, it is normalizing. You know, real yields have been negative uh, for the better part of two years now, you know, really since, um, you know, that pre-COVID level in, in March 2020. So we'll see if we get back to the positive uh, in terms of real yields uh, in the near future. But again, continuing to stay negative right now, that really is a, a positive environment for gold uh, and gold prices to, to be sustained at a, at a relatively high level. And so, you know, again, going back to the gold equities, you don't really need to see a continued rally in the gold price from here. All you really need to see is a stabilization um, at a high level. And so, again, that's what we're starting to see here. Um, you know, maintaining, you know, that price over $1,800 for, again, the better part of two years now. Um, and and for the last several months, at least, you know, maintaining a price over $1,900 even. And so, again, when you think about gold-related equities, um, all they need is that sustained high price in order to be able to sell the gold that they're mining. You know, for the most part, these companies do lock in prices either through the futures market, forwards market, or just contracts with um, uh, with suppliers and wholesalers. But essentially what you need, again, is that high sustained price, then those prices that these gold companies are selling at starts to roll over and gets locked in at higher prices. This allows gold companies to lock in for several years, potentially, depending how they want to, uh, they want to play it, um, gold at a, uh, selling gold at a certain price, and again, relatively high right now. So what you tend to see with gold-related equities is a, a lagged effect in terms of how they perform relative to the gold price. Because again, once that gold price is sustained at a higher level, that starts to work through the financials of those gold-related equities, um, and then they'll tend to benefit uh, potentially over the longer term. And so we think ZGD continues to be a good spot for investors to look at, uh, whether they're concerned about inflation or whether they want that growth potential or just something that's a little bit less uh, correlated to, to traditional equities. Uh, you know, the drivers here are a little bit different than, than um, you know, financials or, or even tech-related uh, equities that we've been talking about. Um, and so this really gives a nice diversification benefit into portfolios. It gives that growth potential and it gives that hedge against inflation. So we think ZGD continues to look good here. Um, again, you know, we don't need a lot more upside in the gold price uh, for gold-related equities to do well. We just need a, a, a stable price at relatively high level. And that's what we're, we're seeing here. And we've seen it really for, again, the better part of the last two years or so. Great. Thanks for that update, Chris. Uh, and I believe that is all the questions that have come in this week. Uh, so I want to thank everyone for listening in. Once again, we really appreciate your, your time and interest. Of course, thanks to both Chris and Matt. Uh, some really detailed responses today covering various areas of the market. Uh, certainly an inflation-dominated conversation, but seems to be touching all corners of the marketplace. So thanks for your updates. And with that, I just want to thank everyone one last time and have a great day. Thank you to Mark Rays, Chris McCaney, and Matt Montemiro for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Laddered Preferred Share Index ETF, ticker ZPR, which may be an excellent entry point for yield-hungry investors seeking to capitalize on favorable structural tailwinds. Our experts also discussed the BMO Equal Weight Global Gold Index ETF, ticker ZGD, 
which can be a good option for investors looking for diversification, growth potential, and a hedge against inflation. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.